Well, hey, last Sunday we uh, dove back into a series that we actually started three summers ago on the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have a Bible with you, I want you to grab it, or if you have a device with an app, grab it. Go to Matthew chapter 6 with me. Matthew chapter 6. Well, for as long as I can remember, I've been somewhat of a dreamer. Right? I remember as a kid dreaming about one day playing Major League Baseball. It didn't quite work out for me, but uh, I still have vivid memories of going down to Atlanta Fulton County Stadium with my dad sitting in the upper deck and thinking to myself, one day I want to play down there. Uh, fast forward to middle school, my dream was, was uh, about what I was going to be when I grew up again, and, and I was dreaming about in those days becoming a doctor, and that remained my dream until I started college. I actually, my freshman year, started working on a biology degree. And my plan was to go to medical school and to become a surgeon and to spend my life cutting people open and putting them back together. Well, again, uh, I'm doing something else these days because by the end of my freshman year, God changed my dream. He called me into ministry, and I tell people all the time, I still get to work with sick and injured people just in a spiritual sense, not so much in a physical sense. But, but today, uh, my dreams really center on, a lot of them anyway, what it looks like for our church to become a sending, reproducing, kingdom-minded church. A, king, uh, a church, excuse me, committed to releasing people into all areas of our community and world to make the biggest impact for Christ that we can possibly make. So my dream is to see our church uh, not focus so much on seeding capacity, but more so on sending capacity. And a lot of what I'm working on these days, it's regarding that dream. Now, I don't know if you're like me in this regard, but there's just something about the future that's always fascinated me. Because of this, I tend not to be very sentimental. It drives my wife crazy, right? I'm the guy that can get a birthday card, read it, say thank you, and then throw it in the garbage can immediately. It's pretty bad. Uh, but, I, but I'm always thinking about what's next. And again, if you are like me in this regard, always thinking about tomorrow more so than today or yesterday, here's what you know to be true. If you're not careful, your greatest dreams and your greatest plans can easily become your greatest worries. And this is what we find Jesus addressing in our passage for today. So if you have your Bibles open, we're going to start reading in verse 25. This is Jesus preaching on the topic of worry. Here's what he says. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Have you ever read the Bible and come across certain passages or commands that made you think to yourself, sounds nice, but that's impossible? This seems to be one of those commands, doesn't it? I mean, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know what Jesus is saying here. The instruction is simple. Don't worry about your life. And Jesus, he does us a favor. He actually frames that instruction by taking us back to last week. At the beginning of verse 25, you see the word therefore. I've tried to teach you this uh, in the past, but anytime you see therefore in the Bible, you need to stop and learn what it's there for. And the way that you do that is by reading first what comes before the therefore, because whatever comes before therefore always informs what comes after therefore. Are you with me? Look, what comes before the therefore are the verses we covered last week. Verses that remind us that life is short, stuff is temporary. And so while we're here on the earth, 
Uh, We shouldn't make it our goal to acquire and store up earthly treasures. Instead, the goal should be to store up eternal treasures. And, And we do that by making Christ our greatest treasure in life and by serving God, not money, as our master. And so Jesus is simply saying in verse 25, because life's short, because stuff is temporary, because it's really all about eternal treasure over earthly treasure, look, don't worry so much about your life. Now, again, I know what some of us are thinking. Impossible. I mean, if Jesus knew what was going on in my life today, he would make a special concession just for me because I have way too much to worry about not to worry. And if that's you, I want to spend some time just unpacking this instruction in greater detail so that you have greater clarity on why Jesus gave it in the first place, okay? The first thing you need to know is this. There is a difference between healthy concerns and sinful worrying. There is a difference between healthy concerns and sinful worrying. So, for example, students in the room, you should be concerned with your school performance, okay? Parents, you're welcome. You can thank me later, all right? But but students, you should work hard and study hard. You should be concerned with doing well because that honors God and it's good for you. Uh, Adults in the room, you should concern yourself with your job performance. Like you shouldn't be the type of employee that goes to work each day and tries to figure out how little you can do and still get by. Instead, you should put in extra effort and work hard because that honors not only God, but your boss, and it's also good for you. Uh, spouses in the room. You should concern yourselves with having a godly marriage. Uh, you should be that spouse that God has, has called you to be so that your marriage actually is, is healthy, God-honoring, and reflects Christ to the world. Parents in the room, you should concern yourselves with raising your children in a godly home so that they understand what it looks like to know, love, and follow Jesus. How about this? Believers in the room, Christians, you should concern yourselves with growing in holiness, obedience, love for Christ, so that through your life, the outside world gets a picture of of who God is and what he can do in the life of a person who's completely surrendered to him. Now, don't miss it. Those are not the types of concerns and worries that Jesus is addressing here. Jesus is addressing sinful worrying. Here's sinful worrying, all right? It's worry that comes as a result of your earthly kingdom taking precedence over God's eternal kingdom. Let me just say that again. Sinful worrying is worry that results from your earthly kingdom taking precedence over God's eternal kingdom. And I'll try to put it in perspective for you, okay? This past week, I read a fascinating article published by the American Institute of Stress. According to this institute, the top two causes of worry and stress in our country today are job pressure and money. Here's what the article told me, that most people in the United States are worried about how to get the job they want so that they can make the money they want in order to establish the earthly kingdoms they want. In other words, how can I make the most to buy the most so that my life here on the earth is most comfortable, enjoyable, and attractive? That's sinful worrying. And this is what Jesus condemns in verse 25. And and the reason he condemns it becomes very clear when you understand its consequences. If you're still looking at your Bible, uh, just look back down at verse 25 really quick. Do you see the word anxious there? Or in some of your Bibles, it might say worry. Or uh, if you still use the, the King James Version, it'll say take no thought for your life. That word or that phrase comes from a Greek word that literally means to be drawn in different directions. Look, that's what worry does. It pulls you apart. 
And if you've ever struggled with worry or anxiety, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know what it feels like to be pulled apart. Uh, First, worry, it pulls you apart emotionally. Like I'll give you a picture of, of what I mean. According to the Mayo Clinic, and again, the American Institute of Stress, stress associated with worry commonly results in restlessness, lack of focus and motivation, feeling overwhelmed or nervous, irritability, anger, sadness, and depression. These emotional responses to stress and worry often then lead to overeating or undereating, angry outbursts, uncontrollable crying, drug, alcohol, or tobacco use, and social withdrawal. Now, not only does worry pull you apart emotionally, it also pulls you apart physically. According to the same organizations I just mentioned, the most common effects of worry and stress on the body are headache, muscle pain or tension, chest pain, fatigue, loss of sex drive, upset stomach, sleep problems, dizziness, short-term memory loss, and suppression of the immune system. And then finally, and most significantly, worry pulls you apart spiritually. You see, you and I as people were created by God to hope in him, to trust in him, to rest in him, to find comfort and peace in the fact that God is all-powerful, in control of all things, uh, that he provides what we need. And when you and I worry, it pulls us in the opposite direction. It exposes the fact, listen, that we don't trust God with tomorrow, And anytime you fail to trust God with tomorrow, you take tomorrow into your own hands. And as a result of this, you live in fear and worry. Here's why. Because if you're honest, you'll admit you can't control tomorrow, right? I know as people, we all want to feel like we're in control and we all want to act like we're in control. But in reality, we can't control anything. Control's an illusion. At the moment, you take control out of the hands of God, worry is your only option. And what's crazy to me is this, oftentimes uh, people who, who live in fear and worry of the future as a result of taking control of their own lives into their own hands, anytime anything goes wrong, they start to blame God. They're living in control, but now they're mad at God because God didn't come through for them. This is the effect of worry. It causes people to live in fear, to doubt the goodness of God, and I've seen it cause people to walk away from God altogether. So how in the world do we obey Jesus in this? Because let's be honest, 10 o'clock, much easier said than done, isn't it? How do we do it? How in the world do we just stop worrying about our lives? Well, Jesus loves us enough to give us the answers. I want you to keep reading with me. Let's see what he says. Verse 26 Look at the birds, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Well, the answer is none of us, right? Worry all you want, ain't gonna change tomorrow. Worry all you want, not gonna live a day longer than than God ordained. None of us can accomplish anything by worrying. Verse 28, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither uh, toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith. So here's the first point. You want to stop worrying about your life? Here's what Jesus says. Know that he can. Know that he cares. 
Know that he can. Know that he cares. Jesus makes this point using two illustrations. We, we just saw them in the text. Birds and flowers. Right? He says to the crowd, uh, when's the last time you saw a group of birds pulling together to build a barn in order to store up extra seeds and worms? Well, the answer is never, right? That's not what birds do. They don't, out of fear and worry, uh, store up all this extra food because they're thinking they might starve tomorrow. No, instead, birds are just birds. They, they fly around and they chirp and they poop on our cars. And all they worry about is being birds. And, and because of that, God takes care of them. He meets their needs. Jesus then goes on and he says to the crowd, when's the last time you ever saw a flower worrying about its appearance? Well, again, the answer is never. That's not what flowers do, right? Flowers don't toil, spin, work hard out of worry or fear that they might be less attractive than all the other flowers. They just grow up in fields and they smell great and they look beautiful and and God takes care of them. Here's Jesus' point. If that's what God can and will do for birds and flowers, why would we ever doubt God's uh, ability to provide what we need? He's making a simple point. He's pointing us to two aspects of God's character, his sovereignty and his care. His sovereignty and his care. When we say that God is sovereign, we're acknowledging the fact that God is in control of all things. That nothing's too hard for him. Uh, His resources are limitless. He's all-powerful. Nothing in the universe happens without his permission or his direct involvement. And so when God, uh, when Jesus says that, that God, he's sovereign through these illustrations, he's reminding us that God can meet our needs. He has what it takes to meet our needs. But here's what's incredible. Not only can God meet your needs, but he actually cares to do so. Isn't that amazing? Jesus points this out when he says, are you not much more valuable to God than the birds he feeds each day? I mean, I feel like this should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway because people in our culture somehow forget it. Human life matters more to God than animal and plant life. You need to know that today. Human life matters more to God than animal and plant life. I know people want to argue it, right? We got a picture of this just a few weeks ago when that little boy fell into the gorilla exhibit in the Cincinnati Zoo. I don't know about you, felt like I was taking crazy pills, reading social media, and seeing people actually suggest that the zoo workers did something wrong in taking the gorilla's life to save the little boy's life, right? All I could think was, if that was your kid, this would be a different conversation. Insane to me. Is it tragic that a gorilla died? Absolutely. Like, should that sadness? Absolutely. But was that gorilla's life more important than the boy's life? Not by a long shot, because in the, in the universe that God created and designed, human life always matters most. And, and how do we know this? Well, we know it in a few ways. One, our own experiences tell us this. Before my wife and I ever had kids, we had a couple of dogs. And these dogs, they were kind of like our kids. I use that term kids really loosely, by the way, all right? We're not those weird dog people, but, but they were all we had. And just so you know, look, side note, if you don't have kids, don't ever believe the lie that somehow getting a pet prepares you for kids. Because it doesn't, not in any way imaginable. I mean, you can lock your pets in a cage or in the bathroom and leave them for hours. Uh, You can put food and water in bowls and put them on the ground so that they don't wake you up in the middle of the night. You can't do that stuff with kids, all right? Anybody that tells you that is either smoking something or they don't have kids. (laughs) 
So my wife and I, we have kids, and all of a sudden, after kids, our dogs were just dogs. Right, having a kid put into perspective the vast difference between the value of human life versus animal life. Uh, the Bible tells us that human life matters most. Right, in Matthew 10, 31, Jesus himself says that the life of, of a man or a woman, it matters much more to God than many sparrows. In Matthew 12, verse 12, Jesus says that the life of a man or woman matters more to God than the life of a sheep. In Genesis 1, 28, the Bible teaches that after God uh, made everything in creation, he actually put mankind in dominion over the animal kingdom. So hear me, we are not on a level playing field with cows and chickens, okay? We have power and authority over them. Human life matters most. Then finally, and this is huge, don't miss it, the cross of Jesus Christ reminds us that human life matters most to God. You see, Jesus didn't leave heaven and come to earth 2,000 years ago to die for your dog. He didn't give his life on a cross for your pet fish or your rose bushes in the backyard. He came to die for the sins of broken people, people like you and me, that we might know God and enjoy an internal relationship with him, which clearly reveals the value that God places on human life. So let me take it back to the point. Do you want to stop worrying about your life? Do you want to stop worrying about your life? This is where it starts. Every day you get out of bed and you trust that you know as Father, the sovereign king of the universe, and that he has everything needed to meet all your needs. He can meet them. And then secondly, you remember day by day that your life matters to God, that your life is valuable to God, and you have a Father in heaven who actually cares to meet your needs. That's first. So let's keep reading. Jesus continues. Verse 31, he goes on. Therefore, there's that word again. We see it three times in this short passage. Therefore, since God cares, since God can, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows you need them all. Here's point number two. How do you stop worrying about your life? You trust that he's good, and you trust that he gives. Trust that he's good, trust that he gives. I got to thinking this past week, what would it be like if my daughters came to me constantly worried about my provision for them? Daddy, did, did you pay the mortgage this month because I'd really like to sleep in my own bed tonight? Daddy, did, did you pay the electric bill, the water bill? Because, you know, we need water to drink and we got to take baths and we like hot water and, and we'd really like to watch TV and sleep with our nightlights because we're scared of the dark. Daddy, did, did you set aside money for groceries this month? I mean, we don't want to starve. We don't want to go hungry. You know, we'd really like some food to eat. Never happens in my house. And the reason's simple. It's not just because my, my daughters are young. It's because all along I've been a faithful father. I've provided for their needs. You see, my track record speaks for itself. It says to my girls, my dad is a good dad, and I don't have to worry about his willingness to give me what I need. Please hear me. The same is true with us and God. When you read the Bible, it becomes clear that God's track record speaks for itself. And this is what Jesus is pointing out here in the verses that we just read. You see, it's not just that God knows what we need, but I love the fact that Jesus points out that we have a father in heaven. He's a good father, and he can always be trusted to give us what we need. Now, if you showed up today and you doubt that, 
or if you've ever found yourself doubting that, I want to give you a beautiful verse to anchor your soul in, all right? If you're taking notes, write this verse down. It's Romans 8.32. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, he who did not spare his own son. So this is God the Father who did not spare the life of his own son, Jesus, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously with him give us all things? So here's what Paul's saying. God went to extraordinary lengths to meet the greatest need in all of our lives, which is our spiritual need. In his goodness, the God of the universe put his own son on a cross to die in our place for our sins that we could be rescued from sin, death, and hell. And so Paul's saying God's track record speaks for itself. If God would do that as our good father for us to bring us into his family to meet our greatest need, why in the world would we not trust God to meet all our other needs? If God gave his son for us, why would we not trust that God would give us everything else we need in life? The question you've got to answer today is this. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you trust that the same God who put his son on a cross for you is a good father who never withholds from his kids what they need? Look, this is a huge question because Jesus, he actually has a label for people who don't trust him. In my Bible, uh, you see it in verse 32, the label is Gentile. And in other translations of the Bible, uh, a label that I believe is much more fitting is used. It's the label pagan. You see, I want you to understand today that a pagan is not simply a demonic heathen who openly hates God. A pagan is anyone who refuses to trust in the goodness and generosity of God, thereby neglecting the kingdom of God for the sake of their own kingdoms. A pagan is that person who, in hopes of alleviating all their worries, all their fears, all their anxieties, they chase after everything the world has to offer them instead of trusting in God as their good father who always gives them everything they need. Can we be honest with ourselves right now in this moment? Look, some of us who claim to be Christians are living as pagans, aren't we? And hear me, I'm not pointing fingers or condemning you. I've been guilty of this at times as well, so I'm preaching to myself. We've all been guilty, haven't we? Here's what you need to know. Uh, the, the, The point is to get you honest, all right? I'm not trying to beat you up. I just want you to be honest because as long as you fail to be honest, nothing will change in your life. And your pagan way of living, not only will it affect your life and your relationship with God, but it will also affect your ability to make God known to people who need to know him. And I'll go back to this illustration with my daughters to make my point. I mean, can you imagine if my daughters not only came to me with all their worries about my provision, but they then started going to all their friends and talking about what they were worried about? You know, my, my dad, I, just, I don't know if he's going to pay the mortgage this month or buy groceries. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about at five years old getting a job so that I can start caring for myself, right? What would all their friends think about me? It wouldn't be good, would it? They'd think, wow, I'm, I'm so glad I don't have a dad like her dad. Can I tell you the same is true when it comes to our representation of the world, uh, God to the world, excuse me. When we as Christians live like pagans and we chase after everything the world has to offer in hopes of, of relieving our fears instead of simply trusting in him as our good father, it says to the outside world, hey, hey, we have a dad who isn't good and can't be trusted to meet our needs. 
So what I've got to do is, is assume control of my life and meet all my own needs because he's not going to do it for me. What kind of person wants that dad? Hear me, your worry not only pulls you apart spiritually, but it has the power to pull other people apart spiritually as well. Like your worry can actually serve as a barrier between God and people who are far from him. Your worry can affect your, your spouse, your kids, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers. It can prevent these people in your life from getting a clear picture of who God is in and through you. You see, if we want the outside world to know who our God is, it starts with us trusting that he is truly a good father who never withholds from us what we need, so much so that we refuse to live like pagans and pursue instead this kingdom that we claim to belong to. Jesus keeps going. He makes a third point. Verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and seek first his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What, what things is he talking about? All those things we worry about. All those things that, that we wonder, man, is God gonna, gonna give me this or meet this or, or meet my need in this area of life? Jesus says again, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things you're so worried about, they're gonna be added to you. Here's point three. You wanna stop worrying about your life? Seek first his kingdom. I'm sorry, let me read it how I wrote it. Seek his kingdom first. Seek your kingdom last. Seek his kingdom first. Seek your kingdom last. Uh, if you've been around our church for a while, you probably know because I've shared many stories by now, that I have a very strong-willed daughter at home named Rowan. Like, to put it in perspective, here's the conversation I had Thursday night. She's about to turn five years old, by the way, okay? I come home from work on Thursday, and it's just a brutal night in my house. I mean, she's disobeying. She's terrorizing her sister. There's screaming. There's crying. It was just a bad night. One of those nights where I'm looking at my, my watch going, man, is it time for bed just yet? So there came a moment where everybody kind of calmed down, cooled down, and so I, I called Rowan over. Babe, come talk to me, and I wrapped her up, and I kissed her on the head, and I said to my almost five-year-old, babe, why do you act so crazy at times? <laughs> and look, I'm not exaggerating. Her exact words, her exact words to me were this. Well, Daddy, I, I just want things, and when you don't give them to me, it makes me mad. <laughs> Unbelievable, Right? That's my girl. Like, I love her more than life itself. Uh, God has truly used her to grow me in patience and Christ like this. She's awesome. But maybe you have a kid like this. She's the type of kid that will do what you want her to do as long as it doesn't interfere with what she wants to do. Right, so, so, like, bedtime in our house is always a nightmare. Uh, it, you know, we mention bedtime and the arguing begins. But, Daddy, I want to play. But, Daddy, I want to watch TV. But, Daddy, I want to snack. And so trying to get on PJs, brush teeth, all that stuff, it's awful because it all interferes with what Rowan wants to do. Now again, let's be honest. Some of us are like this with God and his kingdom, aren't we? We'll seek his kingdom as long as seeking his kingdom doesn't interfere with our kingdom. Like we'll seek his kingdom, but if his kingdom gets in the way of our kingdom, his kingdom is going to take a back seat. Look, I want you to know these words from Jesus in verse 33 destroy any notion that this is somehow okay or justifiable. The question here is not, are you seeking God's kingdom? Because this is the way we often justify it. Yes, I'm seeking my own kingdom, and I'm trying to build up my own kingdom, but, but I'm still seeking God's kingdom. I mean, I'm, I'm giving some money at times, and I'm serving some people at times, and you know, I'm in church at times, and I'm trying to do the right things, but that's not the question. The question is not, are you seeking God's kingdom? The question is, 
are you seeking God's kingdom first? Does his kingdom come before your kingdom? And I'll give you some really practical questions to answer so that you can answer that one big question. All right, here we go. Five quick questions. Number one, are you giving to his kingdom before giving to yours? Like, are you the person who gets paid and like right away you're invested money back into God's church and back into God's kingdom and then you're living off the rest? Or are you the person who gets paid and you immediately start investing into your kingdom and if there's anything left at the end of the month, that's what God gets and a lot of months he doesn't get anything at all because there's nothing left. Are you giving to your kingdom before giving to his? Uh, or giving to his kingdom before giving to yours? Number two, are you serving others before serving yourself? So in your relationships, who comes first, you or other people? Like when it comes to uh, your husband or wife, your kids, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, are you constantly thinking about your own needs and, and in your mind thinking how those people should serve you or are you like Jesus, constantly putting the needs of others before your own and, and constantly trying to figure out ways to serve them? Uh, number three, are you obeying the king before obeying the world? So when it comes to the commands of God, are you the person trying to figure out how much you can get out of or how quickly you can say yes to God? Are you the person out of love for God? And, and please hear me, that's why we obey, right? We don't obey out of guilt, out of duty, out of obligation. We obey out of love. So are you the person who obeys out of love, knowing that God's a good father, he always wants what's best, his commands don't take from you but give to you, they lead you to life and freedom or are you the person that just simply goes along with the world as if the world has more to offer you than God does? Uh, number four, are you going where he sins before settling in? So is the goal of your life to say yes to God in anything he calls you to, in anywhere he calls you to? God, if you want me to go somewhere or to someone for the sake of making Christ known, I'm in. Or is the goal of your life to make your life as easy and as comfortable as possible until your life on this earth is done? And I'll say it another way. Like, are you that person who's willing to sacrifice what's easy and comfortable for that which might be hard and difficult if it means making Christ known to the world around you? Are you willing to go where God sends? And then number five, are you telling of his kingdom before telling of yours? So whose kingdom do you talk about the most, yours or his? Like, do you talk about, uh, man, what you bought, what you have, what you make, where you're going in life? Or do you find yourself talking most about who bought you? Who has you? Who's made you into a new creation? Where you're going in death, if you will. You know, I've often found that when people talk about their own kingdoms, it's all for the sake of getting other people to want what they have. When we talk about the kingdom of God, it's all about helping people to find their way into the kingdom. So whose kingdom do you talk about the most? Yours or his? Now, look back. If your answers to these questions are a resounding no, no, James, I... I don't do these things. Look, your only option is to worry. And the reason's simple. You're seeking your kingdom over God's kingdom. You've taken control out of God's hands and you have assumed control of your own life. And in doing so, you've also assumed the responsibility of meeting all your own needs. And that is a worrisome place to be, my friends. On the other hand, if your answers are yes to these questions, you don't have any reason to worry. Because God promises, if you seek my kingdom first, I'm gonna give you anything you could ever need in life. 
If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This is the promise of verse 33. It's the big idea of the whole passage. When I worry about God's kingdom, he takes care of mine. When I worry about God's kingdom, he takes care of mine. Isn't that a beautiful promise? And I want to be clear, I'm not saying when you worry and seek God's kingdom first that he gives you everything you want, but he does give you everything you need. Sometimes what we want isn't the best thing for us, and God knows that. But he will always give us everything we need, and not only that, I've often found when we seek God's kingdom first, he starts reorienting our desires, Right, like when you're seeking his kingdom, you stop caring about certain things you used to care about when you were only seeking your kingdom. Temporary stuff starts to lose its appeal, if you will, in light of all the eternal things that matter so much to you. What's the result? What's the result? Man, God's taking care of your kingdom when you're worrying about his. You can stop worrying so much about your life. As we close, I just wanna close where Jesus closed, all right? So look back one more time at the passage. Verse 34, here's what Jesus says. Therefore, there's the word again. Because God can, because God cares, because he's good and he gives, because God always promises to meet the needs of those who seek his kingdom first, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. And then he says something I love, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I mean, that needs an amen, right? Enough to worry about today. And so Jesus is saying, look, you just worry about today, you let God worry about tomorrow. You worry about today, you let God worry about tomorrow. Now, we need God's help with this, don't we? This is not something we're going to run out the door and just get right in our own power and our own strength. We need God's help. And the beautiful news is that God offers all the help we need. Uh, in 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter, who was one of the disciples of Jesus, he was also a guy prone to worry, by the way. And if you want to picture what I mean, go back and read the Gospels. Peter worried a lot, and he did a lot of dumb stuff as a result. All of a sudden, 1 Peter 5, 7, we find this guy who at one time was prone to worry, saying to us as followers of Jesus, bring all your cares, all your worries, all your anxieties, and cast them upon the Lord because he cares for you. He found the key to worry. That's it. We bring our worries and our cares to the Lord, and we throw them upon him. That's what we're gonna do as we wrap up our time today. We're gonna bring our worries to the Lord. And so as we get ready for this time, I just wanna ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes all over the room. Prayer team, prayer team, wherever you are in the room, would you just come join me at the front? Just make your way down. As we're settling into this moment, uh, I first wanna speak to those who came today without a relationship with God. Like maybe you're listening to all this and you're going, man, wish I could stop worrying about life. Wish I could stop being so obsessed with earthly things. Wish I could live that life that, that you talked about, James, and, and know God and trust that God's gonna have my back and meet my needs. Look, if that's you, here's what you need to know. You can't seek God's kingdom or experience God's kingdom until you first come into the kingdom. And the way that you come into the kingdom is through Jesus the King, right? You don't come into the kingdom of God by your own effort, your hard work, your ability to follow the rules or, or to do all the right things. That will get you nowhere. Only Jesus can bring you into the kingdom. You have to believe and trust in his life, his death, his resurrection, that he did those things on your behalf to save you from sin, death, and hell 
and to usher you into new and eternal life with God. And if you need that kingdom life that we've been talking about, I want you to know that God loves you and that he wants to to give you that life as a gift to you today. All you need to do is receive it. So if you need to receive it, I want to help you do it right now. Just in prayer, in the quietness of your heart, just say something like this to God. God, I need to come into your kingdom. But God, I realize as a sinful person, I can't do that on my own. But I acknowledge and confess today that Jesus did everything necessary to bring me into your kingdom. I trust in his death on the cross for my sins, his resurrection from the dead to save me from sin, death, and hell. God, I'm asking you, would you give me new life today? Give me eternal life today. Welcome me into your family. Welcome me into your kingdom. Make me a son. Make me a daughter. God, take control of my life so that I can know life in the way you meant it to be. Listen, if you just prayed that with me or or you prayed something like it, would you just acknowledge that, that you made that decision by just lifting a hand? Just lift a hand where you can see it real high. Just throw your hand up. Anybody see hands right here in the middle? Just throw your hand up real high. Our prayer team's gonna come and put something in your hand right now. They're gonna move quickly to you. So prayer team, let, let's move, let's put, we got some resources. As soon as you get this resource, you can put your hand back down. Anybody else? Man, I, I put my faith in Jesus. Anybody else? Any other hands? Awesome, awesome. Listen, uh, the invitation for the rest of us is this. Would you come and cast your worries onto the Lord? Some of us might need to make this our prayer today. God, if you're real and if you're out there, God, I'm trusting in you and I'm laying my life at your feet. God, would you just meet my needs and, and relieve my worries in ways that only you can? Maybe some of us just need to come to that place where where again, we start trusting God again for the first time in a long time. The way that we cast our worries and anxieties on the Lord is through prayer. There's no other way to do it. And so in the next few moments, I just want to encourage us and challenge us not to waste this time. Let's not just sit in our seats or, or stand at our seats and miss out on what God wants to do in our life today. Our prayer team's here. I'm going to be down front. We would love to pray with you or for you uh, regarding whatever it is that you're holding on to, whatever it is in your life that has you locked in fear or worry. Even if you want to come and just kneel at the front of this room as an altar before the Lord, we'd love to place a hand on you and just pray over your life. God, my prayer is in the next few moments, you'd pour out your spirit into this place. God, would you move in power? Would you give us the humility and courage we need to ask for help, to receive prayer today? God, just work during this time in ways that only you can. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.